My guest today is the VP of Sales for EMEA at Contentful. And here's what some of his colleagues say about him. Charlie is one of those rare individuals who, when it comes to selling, gets it 100%. He not only walks the walk when it comes to achieving a sales target, he takes time to inspire and mentor those around him. Charlie Vare, very welcome to the podcast. Charlie, um, to anybody listening to this podcast, they're going to have no idea where you're from, where you grew up. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? Sure. And uh, yeah, a lot of people get kind of tricked by uh, the Irish accent that um, I think my wife forced upon me. Um, long story short, Paul, uh, I'm Dutch. Um, I was born in Amsterdam. Uh, both my, my mom and my dad are Dutch. Um, and that's where I spent the first number of years of my life. And when I turned somewhere between six and seven, um, my dad landed a job to open a, a law firm in Paris. So my little brother and I moved to Paris with my parents and I spent um, close to 12 years in, uh, in, in, the, in the heart of Paris. Um, where I went to school, I learned French um, and made a whole bunch of friends, obviously. And um, at the age of 18, after I did my, uh, my French leaving cert or baccalauréat à option internationale, um, I moved, um, moved back to the Netherlands where I, I started to study. So there you go, that's my first 18 years. And uh, about 18 years ago, Paul, I moved to Ireland with my wife that I met in the Netherlands. Ah, I was going to ask that because I knew she was Irish, but I had assumed for some reason that you'd met her in Ireland. No, not at all. No. So I was um, actually, this is a, a bit of a strange story, but I, I was working for a company called um, Symantec at the time. Uh, they had a very big office um, in, uh, in the Netherlands. And I got to know a bunch of people there, obviously, and two of my very good friends, um, We'd hang out, and one of them went to school with my wife in Dublin. And my now wife came over and visited her friend, and that's how we got connected. So we, we met in, uh, in the city of Leiden um, and uh, via a mutual connection. And your then-girlfriend said to you, yes. come on over to Ireland for a couple of months. No, it actually it was actually it was actually the opposite, Paul. Um, I um, we we had a situation where her um, her company uh, her company went pretty much bust. They they overextended way back when, and mm. she moved over to the Netherlands for a couple of months. Um, and those couple of months uh, turned into uh, a number of years. Um, it turned into a marriage. It turned into our first child, um, and. Then, uh, when my eldest son, who is uh, turning, oh my God, he's turning 19 next month, um, when he was one, uh, we moved to Ireland. Um, so we uh, we actually did it the other way around than you think. Was oh, I, I, that actually mirrors what we did because we were living in the UK and we came back to Ireland when my eldest son was uh, quite young as well. Yeah. Was was it for family support reasons? Yeah, there was board? a bit of this. That, no, not so much that, but a bit of family, a bit of family situation. Mm. Uh, my mother-in-law at the time wasn't wasn't doing very well. Um, she's great uh, at the moment, which is fantastic. Um, there was a bit of family support, absolutely. Um, and I had an opportunity. I was working for uh, for Dell at that time to mm. relocate with Dell to, to, um, to Ireland and mm. started working in the, um, in the Dell office in Bray from way back when, uh, which has mm. since moved to Cherrywood. But yeah, so it was kind of everything came together at the same time and uh, we made the call. Um, I kind of started with the view of, you know what, 18 to 24 months, let's see how this goes. Um, mm. And I did that a couple of cycles and, you know, 18 years later, uh, I don't think I'll ever leave this country. So there you go. 
Yeah. It's funny because we are, in, in Europe, I think we see, it's, it's almost like it's a big deal when you're moving from one country to another, where in the States you could mm -hmm. move from Boston to Chicago, similar probably distance, yeah. and yeah. nobody would think twice about it. Yeah, yeah, very I'm, true. I'm wondering, is it, is it just culture, language? It's something else anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know which it is, Paul. I mean, for me, yeah. I, I've always felt slightly nomadic, uh, and maybe mm. that's because of, of moving when I was so young. Um, yeah. Maybe, um, for me, it's always felt felt very natural. It's always been an adventure, mm. um, and mm. you know, I've had I've had opportunities to I don't know move to Spain for work, and you know, but mm. we're we're so incredibly settled here that yeah. yeah. There's a few things that jumped out for me, Charlie, and sure. in in some of the comments I read on LinkedIn, and again, I would we met first, but. 2008, something like that at or when you were at Oracle, when you joined something Oracle Something like that, first. yes, yeah, way back when. That's, that's 14 years we ago. Haven't, we haven't aged a day, Paul. No, no, we, we, we haven't. Well, <laughs> we have, we just don't look it. That's what you meant. Oh, that's what it is, that's what it is, yes. So tell me, Charlie, was there anything in your growing up, whether that was uh, in Amsterdam, and I think you said you moved at the age of eight to Paris, then... Uh, Anything into that experience that had you marked out for a career in sales? Wow. That's a really interesting question. I don't know. So I moved seven, six, seven, borderline, right? Mm. Went into a French and English school, it was a bilingual school. I spoke neither language, certainly zero words of French. Um, mm. It was a sink or swim situation. Uh, had to adapt, had to adapt super fast. Um, maybe that is good for sales. I, I think it certainly helps when you're dealing with kind of complex sales cycles, ambiguity, leading teams, all that type of thing. Um, I, I think that growing up, I mean, we, we, we lived a long time in the center of Paris and we went a little bit more, more rural. Uh, as in suburbia, let's call it that. Um, my, my dad always worked super hard. Um, oh. And I, I think that that, that had an impact. Um, now, when he was with us, he was with us. But, you know, he was commuting between Paris and Rotterdam very regularly. Oh. Um, and, you know, he'd disappear at the crack of dawn in the car and he'd come back the day or the day after um, driving up and down uh, with the giant Motorola um, mobile phone strapped in between the, the front seats. Um, so maybe there's an element of that. Um, he mm. was always very open about his his job, what he was doing. He was very involved in, in commercial law, commercial litigation, mergers and acquisitions. And there were always adventures that he was telling about, right? Mm. So maybe that was part of it. Mm. Um, certainly when I, when I started to, to study in the, in the Netherlands, um, I went to study law because I thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, I thought what my dad did was cool. Um, turns out it really wasn't. <laughs> I really did not like that. Um, and I, I spent quite a bit of time figuring out that, that studying law was, was not it for me. And Paul, I, I feel incredibly fortunate because I, I grew up learning languages just because mm. I had to. And yeah. I'm going to tell you a crazy story. I can't believe I'm doing this, but there you go. Um, I ended up in a, working in a bar, right? As a student, quite normal, mm -hmm. working in a bar. And one night, this gentleman came to see me. And I'd known him for a while. He was one of my more or less regular customers in the bar. And he goes, mm. Charlie... I've been paying attention to what you're doing. And you serve my French teams in French, my English mm -hmm. teams in English. You have a go at speaking Spanish with my Spanish colleagues. I'd like you in my office tomorrow morning at 9.30. This was probably 2.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to close <laughs> off the bar. Yep. And I, I went to meet him 
And by the end of that day, he'd given me a job working as a technical support engineer for mm. Symantec. And that's how I ended up in the technology world. And I started working wow. for Symantec as a technical support engineer in Spanish, Dutch, French, and English. I was not very good at it. I knew not. I knew nothing about. Spanish. I knew nothing. <laughs> I knew nothing. Well I knew nothing. I knew nothing. That's exactly right. And I, I, I learned seat of my pants. Very quickly, changed roles and become became a, a basically pre sales consultant, solution engineer. Hmm. And that was more into my my wheelhouse. Until one day, my my boss, who was run, running the the Benelux for for Symantec, sat me down and he went, Charlie, you tend to go see customers without the salespeople. Hmm. Do you not want to come and work for me as a salesperson? And I thought about that and. I made the call and, and, and yes, and I, I started to work as a, as a field sales um, person for, for Symantec. And, and that's how I transitioned. So I transitioned from law through tech support, through solution engineering into, into sales. All because of the bar and your experience in the bar. That's an incredible story. It's like it's, it's, the, it's that thing of happenstance, but also... Yeah. There was something unique, you know, you, you were picked out for a reason and it wasn't just the languages, I'm sure it was also the manner in which. And that's the other thing that was interesting to me. It's, you often see that with people who, who as kids move around a lot, um, they probably defensively in some respects or to fit in, learn, uh, hone their skills in terms of building rapport quickly with people, mm. being very personable and also also developing their their sense of humor and that's what I, that's what i meant to stay at the beginning and I'd, I'd lost my train of thought was reading through the, your your linkedin there was a few things that jumped out at me from the comments people said about you one was and which i can absolutely attest to which is the interpersonal skills and it was the sense of humor as well and uh if that wasn't enough when we started, you 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 showed me your mug. Could you could you <laughs> tell me what's written on your mug for people who are not watching this? I just thought this is this is a brilliant mug to have in the morning. Okay, so this is a little embarrassing. Thanks, Paul. Um, it says, That's "I can only please one person per day. Today is yeah. not your day, and tomorrow doesn't look good either." <laughs> That's what it says. So but I'm 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 guessing that when you saw that, you had a good chuckle. I did. And, yeah, I absolutely and, did. And that attests to you know the sense of humor that people said that you that not just the sense of humor they said you were you were fun. You brought a sense of fun, and and I'm wondering, is is does that also come from those experiences where you had where where you needed to fit in, and in order to do so, you you created this environment of fun openness that people felt safe and, and invited to mm. come and build a relationship with you and that stood to you throughout your career yeah paul i i look you you're touching on a couple of things and, and i think they they matter i think they matter right um creating a, a fun environment to work is is super important um possibly more important is is creating a, a safe space where where people can communicate openly and where you can where you can create that that trust because mm. without that trust without the foundation of that trust you know very little things happen and I, I think that only having fun without the trust becomes very mm. becomes very cynical very quickly mm. and mm. and for me it's always been a, a very very fine balance mm. um, Paul I, I've spent the last number of years. Um, working, working with uh, an absolutely phenomenal executive coach. Um, mm. Rachel Anderson is her name, and this this sense of trust and trusted space that, that that you're touching upon is actually one of the things that 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 her and I talk about quite regularly because mm. it, it's you know it's the bottom of every single pyramid. You know that's where you start. It's not Wi-Fi. It's trust. Mm -hmm. mm. 
So talk to me about that then. I wanted to, I had a question when you were talking about safe spaces and I had a question around, is it becoming more difficult to have open, authentic communication in a work environment now where people have to be more careful? Um, that, that was part and then, and, and if so, how do you create that environment of trust in which people do that when it's, it's, it's easier, it seems to me these days, to cause offence? that there's more topics that are kind of off, almost off. It used to be religion and politics, right? That were off limits in terms of work discourse, but it seems yeah. to be more now. And I'm wondering how you navigate that. Yeah, I, I think the topics change as well. And I, I have to say, Paul, just on a, on a personal note, uh, you know, my, my kids are nearly 19, uh, 16 and, and 12. I, I couldn't, I, I, don't, I don't know how they deal with, all the information and all the topics and all the, the noise that's that's thrown at them. Um, to, to come back to your to come back to your question around around this building trust, for me it's about authenticity, right? And it, it's a strange thing, Paul. When when I was thinking about the conversation you and I were going to have, there's a couple of moments that that really shaped. I suppose they shaped me as a as a person as a as a leader and in the context of trust and and i don't remember exactly how you described it paul but me using humor coming coming you know growing up etc mm. i joined dell in ireland in bray okay i'd never lived in ireland in my life i'd been here a couple of times and I arrived in the, the, the old Bray, office, uh, Bray Dell office, um, just at the top of the city, near the roundabout. And I met a couple of people. And from someone who came out of France and the Netherlands, who had work experience, worked for a couple of companies, I felt so genuinely and truly accepted when I walked into that office and I met my first colleagues and I felt embraced and fast forward 18 years, Paul, the first three or four people I met that day are still my absolute closest friends in this country at the moment. And there's, there's, a, there's an interesting thing about authenticity and and being yourself and being able to be yourself and being fully accepted for who you are that i find is very very strong in ireland that if you you know yes fine i'm dutch i grew up in different country etc but that that sense of openness and, and embracing people that that i've really experienced and learned to to absolutely adore in ireland is, is what's made one of the most incredible impacts on, on my life. And mm. it's having that sense of, of freedom to express yourself, being authentic, which is such a big part of creating that sense of trust because you don't need, you don't need to put on a different persona, Paul. I, I am who I am. And mm. that, that makes a huge difference that if you're, mm. you know, if you put on your, I don't know, your meeting face or your, 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 your customer meeting phase or your internal meeting phase, it's just, it's just not right. And it, it's one of the most important things that I feel I've learned over, mm. over time and, and moving to this country has really helped shape that for me. Where's the line though, between being your authentic self and just not pissing other people off? It's <laughs> a good question. I suppose common sense helps for that. <laughs> and you know what they say about common sense. <laughs> it ain't that common. <laughs> it ain't yeah. that common. I've often wondered this because if, if, if you were to be yourself with no filters, you're going to offend people. There's no question about it on something. And therefore, then, then it's a question of which filters 
and mm. are they there for your benefit or are they there for other people's benefit? And I genuinely don't know the answer to this. I've, I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, mm. and as we're talking now, I'm wondering, is that the, the difference? If I'm putting on the filters for my benefit, in other words, I want you to perceive me a certain way, then that's not authentic. Whereas if I'm putting filters on, in other words, let's say swearing offends you and that upsets you, or uh, mm. it might be on politics or religion or, or some social issue. Yeah. And I know you have a particularly strong opinion. Well, if, if, and I have the opposite opinion, let's say. Well, by me sharing that in, 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 by getting my needs met, I could be upsetting you. Yes, but sure. I'm being authentic, I'm being authentic. <laughs> But maybe if I can put some filters on that are for you so that we can maintain a relationship, I can still be authentic and still, yeah, nurture the relationship. I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been trying to work it through in my head. And I think as we talk, that's just popped into my head, maybe the closest, because we can't be just ourselves with no fit. Well, we can, but we will just end up pissing a lot of people off. And, 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 and that's fine yeah. outside of sales, but... Yeah, you're, you're, you're not wrong. And it's interesting, you, you mentioned a couple of examples. And I, I, I've worked with people who would, for example, get offended by, by, by swearing. You know, it's, mm. it's a great example. Um, I do enjoy the odd swear word. And it's the, important. It is important. And I, I think this, this island in particular has, has developed a, a true art. We have, embr in, we, we have embraced it. 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent, and I'm actually trying uh, not to swear right now. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> hashtag, um, yeah. yeah. Hashtag. We'll bleep it out later. Uh, no, but the, but you're right. There, there is a there is a fine. Let's call it a filter that that you will mm. apply because maybe being authentic without intending to cause offence is the mm. better way of putting it. I think there's intention in it. There's also a professional layer, right? I mean, I lead sales teams. Um, you can't just go crazy. Yeah. You know, uh, so maybe yeah. there is a fine line and maybe it is a combination of common sense, common courtesy um, and some professionalism. But mm. I, I find, Paul, I find it very hard when there's no emotion, there's no true vis vision of this person themselves, yeah. that it's all, I don't know, it's all the corporate mm. lens or the corporate mm. message. I, I find that very difficult. And that's mm. not the type of, of leader that I am. And, you know, I will show emotion and I will show, show upset and I will show um, excitement. And maybe I've worked for American companies for too long, but, mm. you know, that that's... It's part of it. It's part of who I am. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I was you mentioned the corporate thing, and I got an email this morning from somebody. I'd sent them a message yesterday, and they said, "Oh, my colleague, blah blah blah, is out of the office. When he comes back, uh, we'll get together for a huddle." And I thought, "You mean you talk to him?" <laughs> and and I want my temptation was to go back with a message yeah. and saying, "Why are you getting together for a cuddle?" Nice, nice. <laughs> and I didn't because I didn't know, again, filters. I didn't nice. know how you might take it, right? But uh, nice. I thought, yeah, there is such this. And, and that in itself is a language of a corporate speak, which is analogous to wearing the suit and the tie. It's a form of presentation which can often yes. hide, hide the, the, the true individual. Um, cool. Tell me, Charlie, in what you're doing Currently, what motivates you the most? Paul, it's, it's been something that's, it's actually been quite consistent for, for a good number of years. Uh, I made a transition probably about 13 years ago from selling to leading sales teams. And, you know, when you're, when you're a seller, the, the thing that motivates you is, is the win it's the close, it's the excitement, it's maybe the accolade and the recognition, being mm. on the podium, all that type of stuff, and possibly the paycheck. Um, and when I, when I took on my, my first sales leadership role, that, that kind of changes. 
and and the motivation changes because it becomes about the people that you work with and that work for you um who put a lot of their their hope ambition support into you right because you're the manager you're the leader and my my motivation over the last decade and a bit has really changed and has become far more about seeing the people that work with me and for me develop grow evolve succeed um i spend time outside of work uh, mentoring people um I, i think that is super important you know i i've you know i've been in tech for a long time i've been in sales for a long time i consider myself genuinely one of the one of the lucky the lucky few who you know has been able to build a career into something they enjoy and i feel very strongly about giving back and so long 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 story short you know seeing my people grow my teams grow i get a huge buzz out of that and it's really really motivating mm. um in uh yeah yeah mm. cool uh if you're comfortable talking about it charlie can i ask you about the accident you had a few years ago and how that might have um i guess not changed you but Mm. How it how it impacted you? Sure. Um, just trying to think if it's Paul. That is just after you and I met, right? I'm not blaming. Yeah, because but no, because <laughs> no, let me put it this way: for people listening, to this, you you had full body, you're you're fully intact, right? And then I met you and. I noticed that you weren't intact. There was a part of your body was missing. Yes. So <laughs> could you <laughs> reveal for people what? I, because I do think well, okay, we're, we're, we can laugh at it now, but at the time it must have been horrific for you, and I well, can't imagine what it must have been like. Look, um, in in uh, in two thousand and eight, I um, I lost half my hand. Um, I lost half my hand. I got um, I got caught. In a um, very large machine here. I mean, that's there you go. Um, for the for the viewers at home, as they say, um, I got caught in a very large machine. Uh, it was a tractor-powered log-splitting machine, um, and whatever happened, I got dragged in, and my hand got uh, crushed and cut, and I ended up in hospital, as you can imagine. Um, I spent uh, a bit of time there, uh, to say the least. I had about a dozen different surgeries, um, and I lost the, the 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 use of my hand, except my my mm. right thumb. So my my mm. fingers don't don't do anything uh, anymore. They're just there because. Um, was basically speaking to the plastic surgeon way back when, uh, having two fingers that don't move is still substantially better than having no fingers at all. Um, which is, at the time, really confusing. Um, mm. And, you know, fast forward, whatever, 12, 13, 14 years, uh, it actually makes an awful lot of sense. Um, because, mm. anyway, they serve a purpose, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, and it was weird. It was weird and it was scary and it hurt and it hurt for a long time. Um, you know, w- without wanting to go into too many gory details, um, the, the skin on my hand is a skin graft from my side. Um, I spent 21 days with my hand stitched into my into my side, basically, for the, for the graft to take. Um, I mean, all that type of thing. And, and mm. you, you learn a lot about mm. you learn a lot about yourself about resilience about well where your pain threshold diminishes <laughs> as well um but paul there, there was a there was a really interesting uh, there's an interesting moment there's actually two two interesting moments uh, that that I'll share with you um the first one I'll share with you is i am um, lying in bed in hospital in the middle of all the surgeries, something like that. And basically, I've lost this side of my hand, right? 
And um, one of my friends came to see me in the hospital, you know who you are. And I would play golf with him quite regularly. Right. And um, he basically walked into the room and said, I can't believe you did this to try and beat me at golf because I've been reading up on this. And basically this area of your hand is the thing that makes your putting worse if you don't control okay. it. And you went and got and chopped it off. Now, <laughs> that shifted perspective for me because mm. it wasn't about me. It wasn't about feeling sorry for me. It wasn't about anything. It was about, I am actually making fun of you, mm -hmm. but I'm doing it because A, we know each other, we trust each other, we love each other, but also life is going to be okay. And that's mm -hmm. how it felt for me. Yeah. The second piece, which is a little bit more scientific, let's call it that, is after the majority of the surgeries were done, um, I started OT, uh, occupational therapy, mm. because they need to rehab and, you know, you spend a lot of time in surgery and whatever. And the occupational therapist, when I walked into her office, said, you're going to be fine. It was the first thing she said to me. And I said, why? Because... I just ask questions. Why? And she said to me, said, there are two types of people that walk into my office with hand injuries. Mm. And I'm going to step back because I'll, sh I'll show you. And she mm. said, the first group of people come in like this, carrying, carrying a, a kitten or a baby. Mm. And the other group of people come in like this, saying, hi. My name is Charlie. Mm. That's how I walked in. And she went, based on that simple behavior, she said, you are going to get out of here quicker and heal faster than the people that come and walk in with a kitten in their arms. That's, that's really, 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 really interesting. It really is that, first of all, it's, in a, it's a kind of a... a, a, a I'm going to say micro-observation, as in it could be a split-second thing, but there's so much behind it. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much truth, and, but it's, it's interesting as well, and I think that might, uh, it's a great example, it's a great metaphor for life as well, that you will see that in, a, in any context, professional one as well, where people are carrying their, their kitten. Um, yes. And... And, and it's almost like, it's, you know, you might call it victimhood. It might be another name. And, and, and that might have many different formats, mm -hmm. but it looks the same and it feels the same to the outside world. It's, look, feel sorry for me. And, yes. and, and I think there's a paradox in that as well, is that if you're presenting yourself, feel sorry for me, paradoxically, actually, people are going to feel less sorry for you than if you act as if, everything's going to be okay. It seems it's easier then to reach out to that person and feel sorry for them because you see the, the, you see the hu humanity, but also mm. the strength and courage. And I think they're traits that we, we really, really admire and we need more of. We need more courage. We need more strength. We need more honesty yeah. and less victimhood. And I think in that tiny little moment, for me anyway, that's what I'm reading from it. And it's really powerful. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. look, for me, it really helped me because, you know, it, it, A, there's a trust. It's a medical professional, right? So you kind of by design mm. trust them. Mm. Um, it's also a huge piece about mindset, right? And mm. just getting your head in the right place. Um, mm. Paul, on the, on the more scientific side of this, um, it's, I think it's called Kaplan's drama triangle. I don't know if you've heard of that. But did, it's, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, that's where, where this whole victim thing comes yeah. in and, and pops up in, in, the, um, in the professional environment as well. Yeah. And yeah, it, it spirals you in a negative yeah. way. Yeah. I think, by the way, for anybody listening, watching this clip, and I think this is a great clip, is the Cartman Triangle, uh, Stephen Cartman, who's a psychologist. 
and I, I think it's really interesting because a lot of the 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 uh, message in the drama tried the persecutor, the victim, the rescuer yes. play play themselves out not just at a macro level in organizations, but even also tactics in negotiations where buyers will go, our budgets have been cut, they'll play the victim and they want yep. you to rescue them. Or they'll play yes. the persecutor, you need to do better. And yes. then that puts us into victim role. And we want, you know, the concessions come in to rescue us. And I think it's really it's a really interesting concept. Anybody just to look it up. You'll find it online and uh, as, as a concept, as a framework for understanding a lot yeah. of dysfunctional relationships that happen in life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and coming back to the example, right, that you're using in, in, in contractual negotiations, sales negotiations, um, a lot of the time, you know, you can, you can actually project yourself into that other person's position and both on a professional side, right? So figure out, you know, what do we think? What are some of the assumptions that we're making? Why would they take this approach? Why are we getting stuck into this victim persecutor model, for example? And with with a lot of my teams, when we start to prepare our, our customer engagement strategy, etc., we spend quite a bit of time thinking about that. Now, on mm. the on the personal, on the professional coaching side as well, um, this is some of the stuff that I would have done with uh, with my coach, right, with Rachel. Mm. And, you know, in, you know, complex situations, uh, relationships, etc., it's it's always try and, and, and shift yourself around the various positions and mm. just try and change that point of view. And, Paul, it, it actually comes back to what we were talking about, about, you know, taking offense and you know, maybe, maybe the swearing, not the swearing, having that, I suppose that the awareness and the self-awareness that it's not just about you and that you can, albeit very briefly, just project yourself in that other person's shoes is, will help, right? You can still be authentic, but you can also have empathy for the other person. And I, I think that that's where, where there's a, there's a, maybe there's one of your clues on how to answer that mm. super complicated question from earlier. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I think that we need a lot more of that, and I'm as guilty as anybody, the idea that you've got to try and... You, you may not understand somebody else's position or mm. why they feel the way they do, but there's often, often examples in your own life that you can identify with that are in some way the same that you can then maybe have more compassion and understanding for another person's per perception. It's quite interesting. Um, it's a topic I could talk all day about. Uh, tell me, Charlie, who inspires you the most? I, I, I've, I've mentioned my eldest son. Um, he, he's, a, he's a remarkable kid. Um, he's taller than me, nearly. Uh, so, you know, not really a kid, but anyway. Um, he's on, uh, he's on the, the spectrum, so he has ASD. And he has spent a substantial part of his life kind of coming to terms with that. Um, mm -hmm. He's doing great at the moment. Um, he he has he's got a great job. Super happy there. Um, and but how he fought that and came to terms with him as an individual, how he is for something that he really can't control, has been mm -hmm. has been incredible and it, it helped my wife and myself grow as parents right? very bumpy road not fun yeah. uh, very mm -hmm. contentious very difficult but we we've reached a point where i think we're in a really good space uh, as as a as a as a trio mm. um my my daughter is nearly 17 she'll turn 17 in in september um she embraces life in the most spectacular way. Uh, she's in transition year at the moment. Um, she's in France. Um, she went to France for four weeks, extended her stay, is in school there, learning French, trying to adjust to a completely new environment and has literally taken the world by, by the horns. And, and I love how she's, how she's doing this and how she's just being this fearless person who's scared and you know homesick and and all those things and i i think it's 
fascinating and and she really really inspires me and mm. then my youngest is 12 going on i think 34 at this stage and he, he's one of the most driven per persons people i've ever met um mm. he wants to be a professional football player paul um he has had he's had two concussions in the last three and a half months um he pulls himself up he trains he gets himself back up and running he is hyper focused on his goal and mm. seeing someone that young i didn't have that motivation when i was 12 i barely knew how to tie my laces and mm. and it really it, it just i find the three of them just they give me such energy and 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 happiness and it's mm. yeah it yeah, there. I'm not going to get too okay. soppy, but there you go, Paul. <laughs> no, that's that's it's that's a wonderful tribute as well. And all I can say is they didn't lick it off a rock. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a classical Irish expression, you know. <laughs> but um, it, it was interesting because I attended a talk by a colleague of mine there at a Sandra conference in in March this year, and. It was, it was quite powerful as well, and there was a line he used which reminded me what you were saying about coming, you know, kids coming to terms with things and having to, to, to battle through that. And it was a story about his kid who wanted to go on this big roller coaster, but was scared hmm. and said, I want to go, Daddy, I want to go, but I'm scared, what will I do? And the answer was, ride scared. And I just thought it was it was a profound statement that really I thought mm. it, it might have been just a throwaway comment, but I, I think it just runs a lot deeper because to me it was a metaphor for life. That yeah. if you know life can be scary, we're all faced with challenges throughout life. It can be in personal relationships, it can be in in dealing with loved ones who are going through something. And and that can present a, a, a very scary vista. And you then have a choice how you react to that. Yeah. And I just, for me, that yeah. ride scared was like, just take, do it. And, and, yeah. and you'll get through it. And I don't know why that reminded me. It just felt mm. like that when you were talking about your, your own children there. Yeah. It's really, really, really cool. Tell me, Charlie, uh, if you weren't doing what you're doing, let's say you were, you were financially independent, you were retired, no more corporate life for you. What would you like to do it yourself? So it's funny. One of my friends keeps asking me this. <laughs> um, Paul, there's, there's two things. One is actually something I absolutely love doing. And I, I, I find it incredibly therapeutic and that's gardening. Um, I, I love being in the garden. I love pottering about uh, as, 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 as you call it. Um, I love trying to 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 shape. Um, I love trying to make stuff nice, um, and I spend a lot of time in the garden. And I, mm. I I notice that when I don't. I yeah, you get less calm, and mm. you know the fact that the sun is shining again and my daffs are coming up and all that type of thing. It, it's great, and I I I was spent a lot of time in the, you know elbow deep in mud last weekend and you know that would be one thing the the other mm. thing and this is more aspirational than something i i don't know if i'll ever do this but this sounds oh this sounds so corny i'd love to write a book okay. and i i don't know if i ever will um mm. i i've been i've been thinking about it i i we went on to a trip family trip a couple of years ago and it was just, it was magical and weird and all of that at the same time. And um, maybe that's a starting point. It's, it's, I have a, I have an idea. I just need to figure out if I'll ever, to your point, write scared and put pen yeah. to paper. Yeah. Is it a workbook, you know, a business book or is it a fiction? Is it documentary no. what type of book is it wow that's a great question paul i don't think it would be a workbook 
Mm. It'll be, will it be fiction? It'll probably be fictional because, yeah, certainly not nowhere near writing an autobiography. Um, will it be, yeah, I don't know yet, Paul. I, I have some thoughts around it. it mm. You know what? It Because the trip itself was just odd. Mm. It, it probably will touch on things like resilience, adversity, mm. you know, bouncing back, you know, mm. that type of thing. Um, yeah. It was a great journey overall, just mm. the roller coaster we were on during that period mm -hmm. triggered something in me that, that yeah, I yeah. might actually one day do yeah. that. I think yeah. it could be it could be all of those. It can it can be it could a be. book about business, about re re resilience is a topic, for example, that's very relevant in business, but also in, mm. in our own lives. So it spans both. It can be fiction. But it can also be, I should say, it should be, it could be your experiences fictionalized, changing the name, changing location. Yes. Actually, you probably know this. You know the, uh, I'm looking for it here. Sorry, I'm just going to go out of uh, focus of the background. You, I should be able to put my hands on this and I can't because it's my book. So I don't know why it's not here uh, in, in all of these books. Here we go. This, because that was, so this is, this is a little bit of a, of a self-plug, but that was very much like that as well, that it was... It's, it's a book for sales, but it's also fictionalized, but they're my experiences as well. Yes. And, and okay. you could absolutely do that because of, of, with all your experience. No question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think thought. you... Thanks, Paul. Yeah. And the, the, the key thing is, if, if I could, what helped me enormously was sitting down with somebody else. Writing is a, is a skill that most people don't have. Writing well, I should say. Everybody can write, but writing well is another thing. And I found sitting down with somebody where I would just chat with them about an experience I had and what it meant. Mm -hmm. And then they'd take that and turn it into words. And that's another great way to do it as well. Okay. Um, yeah, there's okay. several ways of We're doing it. About but, uh, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, so is, is, is your main motivation that... It's like a, it's like a, what do you call those, a bucket list thing that I just always wanted to say, I've written a book, and that the topic and theme is not quite there yet, but it's just, you know, when, when I depart this world, I'm leaving something behind. No. Okay. No, it isn't. It's actually upside down. It's, I was talking to people about this experience. And people went, mm. maybe you ought to write a book. Mm. And mm. maybe that's why I haven't done it yet. Because mm. it's it's an external motivator as opposed to an intrinsic motivator. So I'm mm. working on it, Paul. I'm working on it. You, you could write it as an article first and see how you not get on. Idea. It's not yeah, a bad like, idea. Or you could even be, could even be a, bl a blog post. Like you could be any... And that not would kind of idea. tease out, yeah. All right. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. I'm conscious. I'm conscious of time, Charlie. We're almost up against it, so I have a couple of quick questions. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Um, if you, I know. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question that I ask everybody, which is, your house is burning down, and your family and any pets are safe. Your phone and computer are safe, and you have to rush back in to grab one item. What would it be? But I notice you're not in your house. At the moment, no. you're, you're, where, where are you at the moment? This, this is your own personal office space, is it? Yes, I'm in the, I'm in the garden, and okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a great, uh, a great wooden shed that I've, uh, I've built an office in, and uh, really? yeah, it's a great spot to be. So I, I actually commute between my house and my, my office, which is uh, fabulous. All right. So, so that that's your shed quarters. That's the shed quarters. Yes, Paul. Yes. Had to get that in there some way. Oh my god! <laughs> and you've got your garden outside. Is this your happy place, by the way? You know what? It really is. And mm. you know, when when the world went topsy turvy with COVID, um, again, I said it to you earlier. You know, I, I feel super fortunate 
um, having a space where you can actually go to and and work and think and yeah be yourself is is incredibly mm. important and it's mm. Um, mm. yeah it's been it's been really really good mm. anyway back to your house is burning down and you got time to yes. run in and grab one item of sentimental value what would it be and why are all the pictures safe paul all the pictures are safe i would assume that they're backed up scanned in whatever yeah <laughs> okay this is a bit like the desert island disc question mm, it's a, that's me. exactly what it is exactly, that's exactly what, what it is. is yeah except the desert island there's some chance you're going to be rescued and get back to this is no your house is burning down that's it it's gone you know what this is going to sound super weird but one of the things that really matters paul i'm not going to play it fair I'm going to say a couple of things. Mm. I have a set of cufflinks that my granddad gave me. They have to come. Okay. I have a butter knife with a manky plastic handle that my granny basically left me after she passed, because that's the thing I picked, which reminds me of her Mm. every single time. So it's nice. those things, that type yeah. of stuff that I would take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's allowed. I'll, uh, yeah. Thank you. I mean, the smoke. You'll the allow- smoke might be. The smoke might be getting to you at this stage. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I'll be having to go to various rooms. Yes. Yeah. And 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 final question, Charlie. Yes. You talked about the book. If there was a book written about your life, what would you like the title to be? Wow, that's a great question, Paul. Don't bring a kitten. <laughs> I love it. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Don't bring, yeah, put the kitten down. Something yeah. like that. Charlie Bear, thank you so much for being my guest today. Paul, thank you. It was great being here.